Amen. It's good to see you today. You're a nice sized crowd out there. So happy Mother's Day. You're welcome. It is an honor and a privilege to be a mom. I think it's one of life's greatest blessings is to be called mom. Um, I do have gifts for all of the moms, but we're going to do all the gifts and door prizes at the end instead of now. So that means you have to what? You have to stay the whole service <laughs> to win or to find out if you're a winner, you got to stay. So we're like chaining you to your seat. Not really. But we have something a little different for you today. I have a few ladies along with myself that want to share with you just a portion. And I mean a portion because we would literally keep you here till tomorrow or in the middle of next week if we started sharing our whole testimonies with, with you all. Um, but we're going to share on the importance of having a godly heritage. And this is different than anything that we've ever done, but I feel it's important because we don't really get to share a lot of our testimonies anymore. We're a larger size church, so we don't get to do that unless you're in a life group and you can tell someone your story. But I pray that you're blessed by it today, and I know that you're going to leave uh, feeling empowered and you're going to feel uplifted today. Amen? So I'm going to share with you the value of a godly heritage. And we all have a different topic, but mine is having the value of a godly heritage. And that's Deuteronomy 6, 5, and 7. It says, And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. If something is of value, what does that mean? It means it's what? It's useful or it's important. If someone says that they value you, it means that they appreciate your role in their life. And it means that they respect how you feel. We are predisposed to adopt the values that you're raised with aren't you? If your mom or your grandma or whoever you live with, they raise you a certain way, you're in that household, that is what you adopt. That's the way that you think that you're supposed to live or the way that things just go because they're the values of your culture. It's your surroundings. And this is why it is so important that values, that good values are instilled in us at an early age. I was brought up in a broken home. My parents divorced when I was five years old. However, I went to church every week with my dad and with my mama. My daddy would take me to church on Sundays. We were uh, part of the United Methodist Church. He taught us kids to say grace before meals. We always had to do that. To respect adults, the importance of chores, family time, and we always had to say our prayers before bedtime. However, I encountered something a little different when I would stay at my mama's house. And I call her mama, some of you are Mimi's, Gigi's. There's all kinds, the names can go on and on, but she was my mama, and I, I stayed with her every weekend, and she went to church a lot, like a whole lot. I would stay with her on Fridays and Saturdays every week, and we were always going to a singing or a revival somewhere. If there was something going on within an hour's drive, we were there. Um, I actually got saved in, when I was young, I backslidden, but I got saved when I was about 12 years old and filled with the Holy Ghost at one of the revivals that I went with her in. And I always knew that we were going to go to church somewhere. I never asked questions 
because I knew we were just going to go. It's like one of those things. I'm packing my bag to go stay with mom all this weekend. Bring church clothes because you're going to church. And to be honest, I just wanted to go with her and I wanted to be with her because there was something that she had that just interests me. She was always peaceful and calm. She was caring, giving, and loving. She just attracted people. And some of you got the opportunity to know Mama before she passed away three years ago. She knew how to take problems to Jesus. There was nothing that I could tell her that she would not tell me. Just take it to God. Jesus can fix anything. And, you know, as, as, a, as a young adult and in church, it kind of got on my nerves sometimes. <laughs> Just take everything to God while I'm taking it to God and he's not doing anything about it, you know. So, to me... It was like she just had this special gift or this special comfort that she gave me because my home was broken. Uh, but it's amazing how God can do that to us, isn't it? I valued her, and I appreciated her role in my life. I remember having a record player with, I remember her, she had a record player with many Southern gospel albums. Does anybody remember record players and albums? I know they're making a comeback, but they're not the same as the originals. My favorite was one album that she had, and it was by Candy Christmas. Does anybody know who Candy Christmas is? Some of you might know, but she was a hymnphil, and the hymnphils were a southern gospel group, and she sang with her parents and her family, and she got married, and her name ended up being Candy Christmas. thought it was cool. She was beautiful. She sang like an angel. And I remember asking Mama if she thought I would ever be a singer, and I recall her saying to me, and she called me sissy, Sissy, you're going to do anything that God's destined you to be. I started singing in church when I was three years old. She would carry me up on her hip when she sang, so I learned to use my gift at a very young age before I knew that I had a gift. I learned to use it. It is very important to speak life into your children and grandchildren. Her telling me at a young age that I was going to do and be everything that God had for me she was already speaking life and speaking that call into my life and in, into existence. But I remember Mama listening to Christian music when she would cook, when she cleaned, when she prayed. It was always on, and she had them old, the old-timey Christian radio stations, you know, the bluegrass, banjo-y Christian stuff. That's what she had on the radio. So that's what I grew up listening to. I now know that she was worshiping Jesus all the time. And she taught me that I can have conversations with the Lord whenever I wanted to. She would always say, God's never too busy to hear us when we speak. So no matter where you're at in life, Jesus is only a whisper away. And I know that we forget about that sometimes and we, we don't see him. So we worry, we keep everything inside. But literally, he's only a whisper away. And when you call on his name, he's there. There is something special about watching someone that you trust and love not just follow God, but literally live Jesus out. That they live the role of Jesus Christ. This has been one of the most beneficial to me because I learned I can talk to Jesus all day, not just on my knees. She taught me that prayer time was very important. And she would pray in her recliner in the living room in the mornings. And we kids knew not to bother her when she was talking to God. She took it very seriously. We would literally be rolling around, pulling each other's hair out, like punching each other, and she just kept praying. She didn't care what we were doing. We were abusing each other. I remember tapping her one time to try to get her attention because my brother was beating me up, and she said, not now, sissy, I'm praying. 
So she didn't care that he was beating me up. She was talking to God. (laughs) She took it very, very seriously, and she taught us to take it serious as well. You see, as a child, you wouldn't think I would remember so much or it would affect me today. But let me tell you that because of my mama and watching her life, it has helped me stay the course when I wanted to give up. I have been through some trying times and downright, let's just say, I've been through some hard times. But I remember her faithfulness, her pain, and her commitment to Jesus and her family and instilling in us the importance of making Jesus not just somebody you can pray to to fix your problems, but making Jesus the Lord of her life. I saw her reflect who God is and his character, his goodness. And I want my children and my future grandchildren to know that above all else, God and his opinion is the absolute most important. It doesn't matter what anybody else will say to you. If God says something to you, that is the only one that is of value because he's the one that has spoken over your life. Life is very hard. And there will be hard times in your life because the Bible says a little rain must fall on all of us, but it doesn't change who God is. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is always to be praised. I had a very complicated childhood. I had a lot of pain a child should not have to go through. I had a mom who did not want me because she was bound in addiction. A separated home, I yearned to be with my mom. Never, I couldn't understand why my mom gave me away at five years old, why she didn't want me. She was bound in it. But I had a consistent grandmother who taught me about Jesus and taught me the power of staying and taught me the power of love. And what I learned from my mama has helped me go through some pretty tough times in life. And I wish I could have just one more talk with her, but she left me with more than I will ever need to make it through this life my dependence on Jesus Christ as my Savior, personally. Because it was for this precious woman of God that encouraged me to make my relationship with Jesus the most important in my life. I can have a good relationship with my husband and my kids and my friends and my church family, but Jesus Christ is the most important relationship I will ever have and is the most important relationship that you will ever have. And I am thankful that God gave me the gift, so thankful, that I value today, and that was the gift of my mama. Good morning. All right. It is an honor to stand before you today. Um, I will be speaking from Proverbs 13 and 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Passing on a godly heritage, a responsibility that all God's children are responsible to carry out. It is a task that is not going to be easy. It comes with difficulty, hard times, and sometimes with the unbelief that this task will not be completed. An inheritance is a a valuable possession that is common heritage from nature. I pay close attention to the word common, It is something that is shared by multiple, meaning it can be used differently by everyone. But you can believe that this task is something that can be completed. And I say that is a possible mission because I'm a product of that responsibility that is set before us all. I was raised in Wellsburg, West Virginia by both of my parents, but both of my parents worked outside of the home. So I was extremely fortunate to have my grandmother, my mother's mother, live with us. 
And I was even more fortunate to have my great-grandparents, my father's mother, um, father, my father's mother's parents live right up the hill. So my mother and father were extremely blessed, and we were extremely blessed to have so many generations help raise up my sis myself, my sister, and my brother. Um, I just think about it now that, like, so many generations now do not have great-grandparents. And I just, I just think about all the good things that I got to experience with them and their love and their compassion towards me. And I think about my Mimi and granddad. They were married for 75 years. And I tell you, they were the cutest and sweetest couple you would ever come across. I mean, it doesn't just come from me. It comes from multiple people that they affected all throughout their life, you know, that they have relationships with. Um, <laughs> their love, I always describe their love. It was like as bright as the sun when it reflects off of the fresh snow. You know, it was that pure love, that godly love that we don't always see now. You know, they always spoke to each other with the utmost respect. You know, you never heard anything negative come from them. And, and I was very fortunate to have my grandmother and my great uncles. You know, I would ask them, like, did you ever hear them speak negative to each other? And they would always tell me no. And it always stuck with me on how a man should speak to his wife, right? And how a woman should care for her husband. And not knowing this at the time, but it was setting me up for the, I'm sorry. It was setting me up for what I would look for in a husband and what I would be as a wife. See, when my Mimi was diagnosed with dementia, I'm so sorry, I watched my grandfather love her in a way that was just, some, just so indescribable. I mean, he loved her and his love never faded. I think he came up with the forehead kiss because I, I really do. I like, he would always kiss her on her forehead. And even when Mimi was started to fade away, the Mimi that we knew, the Rosa that he knew, he never changed. And I always look forward to that, and I would always hear myself like, I really hope I find someone that I can love the way that Mimi loved Granddad. And I really hope that I can find someone that would love me like Granddad loved Mimi. And anytime we weren't on top of the hill, we were at home with my grandmother. And some of you have met my grandmother before she passed away, uh, my mother's mother. And my grandma was like the best grandma in the world. <laughs> she would tell you how it was, you best believe that. Um, even if it hurt your feelings, but she did it always out of love. I know she did. Um, my grandma was the best thing in the world. She helped raise all of us. Um, not just my mom's children she helped, but I mean, I had cousins that ended up living with us. <laughs> um, all my cousins were raised, like my grandma had something to do in their lives daily. Like it wasn't sometimes, it was consistent. You know, um, I'm sorry. She was more like my best friend. My grandma went everywhere with me. And when I got pregnant, she was with me every day. And after I had my kids, she was with me every day. And after we brought in three more children, she was with me every day. And I miss her every day because I have so many memories of her. But the one memory that stands out more than anything was about my grandma praying. So my grandma was a prayer warrior. I mean, when I tell you she prayed, she prayed all the time. My grandma would go to bed after we would go to bed. And in the middle of the night, you would hear her, I mean, like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, you would hear her praying. And you would hear her say, like, her children and her grandchildren. She'd be praying for her nieces and her nephews and her sisters and her brothers. And then sometimes in the middle of the night, you would wake up and you'd feel like, do I have oil on my face? 
Because some point in the middle of the night, she was standing over you, praying for you. It's a guarantee. In the mornings, um, I remember waking up and going downstairs, and my grandma would be sitting on the couch with her Bible in her lap. And she'd just be talking to Jesus like, you know, like, we're not there. Um, <laughs> she, she did that a lot. I remember sometimes sitting in a room with her, and you'd be like, are you talking to me? She'd be like, no, I'm just talking to the Lord. <laughs> My grandma talked to the Lord so much, she had that mustard seed faith. I mean, my grandma would only receive $800 a month. And after paying for her medicine, which was like $400, she always paid her tithes and she paid her life insurance because she was prepared for here on earth and in heaven. <laughs> she was. she take my tithes out and pay my life insurance. She was not playing because she did not burden her children with the responsibility of burying her. That is one thing that's true. And my grandma, and she would, I'm telling you, she moved mountains with this $180. I mean, she, when Ryan and I, we had our first place. She bought us our first bed because we were sleeping on a mat. And I'm like, Grandma, you don't even have anything. I might not have it, but God will make a way. And my grandma always would say that. She'd say, but God, but God. That was her testimony. No matter what was going on, but God. You can always count on God. No matter what was going on, but God. And that's even on her headstone today, but God. I have a shirt. I had Kristen make me a shirt, and it says, but God. I had Glenn make me some chairs, and it said, but God on it. Because it constantly, I remember, but God, but God. And if anything wasn't instilled in me, I knew that God would make a way. No matter what was going on, she was always consistent. And I would remember, and I'd be like, Lord, I hope that I can believe like my grandmother would believe. See, I was always raised up in a church. I didn't know anything but church. My great-grandparents, they, they lived in Wellsburg, and they went to Henderson Chapel, and they were members of Henderson Chapel AME Church, which was a Methodist church, for over 65 years. And then um, myself and my mom and my brother and siblings and my grandma, we all went to Emmanuel Church of God in Christ, which I was raised Kojic from Steubenville, and that's Pentecostal. Right, And then when I would go to Cleveland with my other grandma that's here, um, I would always go to Corey Methodist Church. So I was always in church. I mean, I was raised up in a church. And when I mean raised, I had Easter speeches at both church. I participated in both East, uh, Christmas programs, right? So it makes sense why I would marry a man with a Methodist demeanor and a Pentecostal belief. <laughs> so if you don't know my husband, then I'm sorry. <laughs> Some of you guys got it, right? You know, um, <laughs> um, so um, I remember, like, going to church with my Mimi and, like, setting up communion. And uh, I remember going, like, the usher meetings with her. And me and my sister at one time, we had a mime group, right, that we traveled and went to other churches and, and worshiped. And I was not just raised in a church, but I served in the church at a very young age. I was the Sunday school secretary that I had to stand up and give every minute, the minutes every morning to the whole congregation after Sunday school. And I didn't realize how that affected me then on how it would like, impact my life today, right? We don't think about those things when we're young and how it's going to impact us. Um, I left the church when I was 18 years old because I could and I did, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was grown. <laughs> Dumb decision. But when I left the church, I'll tell you this. The only thing that kept me 
was my mother's prayers and my grandmother's prayers because I lived a life that I should have been in jail or dead. The things that I did when I was sinning, I shouldn't be here today. I shouldn't be standing in front of you telling you my testimony. But it was only because I had consistency in my life, right? I had examples in my life. I had grandparents <laughs> that took me to church. I had a mother that took me to church. And even in my sin, the one thing that I never lost was my hope. And now that I look back and I think things over, I can see what God was doing. He gave me grandparents and a mother that stayed consistent in their love and their devotion and their belief in Jesus Christ. They didn't just talk about it. They didn't just read about it, but they lived it. I seen it. They lived it. My whole childhood, I was being introduced to the God of hope. Paul writes in Romans 8 and 24, for in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for something they already have? But if we hope for what we yet do not have, we wait patiently. Now knowing that that hope I had was the hope that would change my life forever. This hope was the hope that saved me. And I began to know the God of hope for myself. I have the hope that has strengthened me from day to day through my hard times, through the times that I took in three children that weren't mine and all the problems that came along with it, <laughs> through the times that my family talked about me and I didn't have no one to lean on. I thank God for that very moment and I thank God for that hope. It wasn't, it was the hope that was the object of my faith and that still is the anchor of my soul. It was the hope for eternal life. And when I think back, those are the things that I'm instilling into my children that I need to pass on to my children. If you see any of my children, they are in the church, right? They don't just come to church, but my children serve. I make sure that my children serve. My husband and I are very consistent in bringing my children to church and making sure that they serve. Because when you belong to something, right, that means more than just coming. And that's what I learned through my grandparents. And I think about it, is these three individuals with no high school education, from small towns like Williamson, West Virginia, that was my granddad was from, Allen, Alabama, where my Mimi was from, or Bennettsville, South Carolina, could leave such a rich, godly heritage to all their children and their children's children. They all lived and were able to see five generations of their children. And that was from, whew, and from their labor of love and devotion to the Lord, their devotion to their family and friends, and their church. They produce pastors and many disciples of Jesus Christ. I, had, I have uncles that are pastors. I have an aunt that is a pastor. And I said so much, right? Like you have to be this big thing in order to produce something great for God. Lie. Um, they were big in our lives. They were consistent in our lives. But they, what we got from them has changed so many people. Even the people that they came in contact with from the church. And I remember uh, Sister Alice Herring, she was the mother of our church at Emmanuel. And when my grandmother died, she said, you know, the first person that talked to me was your grandmother. The first person that taught me how to drive when I came from down south was your grandmother. I no longer see her as a member of the church, but I see her as a sister in Christ. More than a sister, she sees us as family. That spoke volumes to me, that she would have an impact on somebody that way. 
See, they knew it wasn't just about them. They knew it was about the building up of God's kingdom. See, Mimi, Granddad, and my grandma truly believe what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. You are a letter. You are written in our hearts. You are known and read by all men. You are as, you are as a letter from Christ written by us. For you are not written as other letters are written in ink or in pieces of stone. You are written in the human hearts by the spirit of the living God. See, the way we live today, it doesn't just affect our eternal destination. The way you live today can impact and inspire many generations. It is your responsibility. It is our responsibility to live the life filled with faith in Jesus Christ. It is our responsibility to leave a godly inheritance. Hi, everybody. So I have a predicament. I'm an old lady, so I can't read with my glasses on, but I can't see you with them off. How about that? So we're just going to um, pretend like I can see y'all. Hey, everybody. <laughs> I'm going to talk about a product of a godly heritage. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Now, I'm the ninth of ten children. I was born to Osby and Eula Dean, and I was raised in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley. It's nestled just at the base of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. Now, the common theme for me growing up really was God, family, church, and don't forget, you got to work. Yeah. But I have so many memories of sometimes we would leave church and, and Daddy would stop at a little store off the edge of town and he would buy a pound of bologna, a loaf of bread, and each one of us a Dr. Pepper. Now, Mama would take the bread and make us all a bologna sandwich, and she'd hand it back to us in the car. My brother might be in the window of the car back there. Me and my sister each would be sitting on Daddy's knee, and Daddy's driving. And miraculously, we all lived through that. And what we would do, we would ride around the horn. That's what Daddy called it. It was just like a, a road, a certain road we took, and he would call it the horn. Well, we would sing all my, we would sing just song after song. We was just singing all the time. We were singing family. When I was about seven years old, Mom and Daddy had taken me to the doctor. Now, back then, it's pretty rare to get taken to the doctor because, I mean, you had to be really sick. To, and Mom and Daddy had ten kids, I'm just saying. So, uh, they took me to the doctor, and he gave me a shot of penicillin, and I immediately had a reaction. And my family tells me about it. They said that my joints swelled, I couldn't walk, and it, it was got, got to be really severe at one point. And, and Mom and Daddy thought I was going to die. And I remember Daddy saying, now we're going to go by Pastor's house, and we're going to get you prayed for. And then we're going to go see the doctor. they thinking about putting you in the hospital. But he said, God's going to heal you. I'm like, I kind of remember that part. And I'm like, really? Uh, I was a kid, you know. And so he, we did that. Daddy called the pastor. The pastor met us. He prayed for me. We went over to the doctor's office. And, and, and Daddy said, God has healed you. Mama kept saying, God has healed you. And I mean, as a child, I'm in pain. Even touching me hurt. And uh, finally, Daddy said something that worked for me. He said, if you get out of the car and try to walk I'll buy you an ice cream cone. 
I'm like, now, that's my kind of language. I can do that. So I got out of the car, and my little legs are just wobbling, and I start walking, and I see that old doctor standing at the door watching me, and he looked at my mom and dad, and he said, well, the Lord has touched that little girl. And I remember mom and daddy being so grateful because God had healed me. But I had asked my uh, brother and sister about the atmosphere of our home because I'm the ninth one, and, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. Well, my older siblings, not so. Uh, from what I understand, mom and daddy got saved just right before I was born. So the night I was born, it was a Sunday night, February the 16th, there was revival at church. And the preacher of the church, the pastor, got up and announced that mom and daddy was going to sing. <laughs> but mommy wasn't there. That's when there was this great move of the Holy Ghost throughout the Shenandoah Valley. There was revival everywhere. People, I mean, they went to church every day, every night. Church, church, you went to church. And if there was no church, you had prayer meeting because everybody needed prayer. So mom and daddy got saved at a local campground there. And my sisters and brothers told me life was definitely different after that. Now, Mama was always a person that raised good children. Uh, she wanted us to be good. She wanted us to uh, be good moral people. Uh, Mom and Daddy weren't people that would drop cuss words. Um, they weren't, they didn't steal. They worked hard. But good moral people don't go to heaven. Saved people do. And you can have all the good morals in the world and not get to heaven. But mom and daddy did get saved, and, and they said that after that, well, life was a lot different. Um, mom and daddy soon discovered the actual gift that God had given them to give to others, and that was singing. So they went everywhere. My sister tells me that the Baptist church invited them. They went there. The Methodist church invited them. They went there. Wherever they could go, that's what they did. So whatever God told them to do, they sang. They had a burden for the lost. They knew how to witness. They wanted people to be saved. And it didn't matter the denomination. It doesn't matter even now. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? And when you get to heaven, is he going to look at you and say, I know you? So that's what I took from growing up with mom and daddy. Mama never let us say the word liar. We would get a whooping. We could say that somebody told a bad story, but we could never say they lied. Now, were mom and daddy perfect? No. <laughs> you know, I just remember funny things about mama, like her and daddy was going to revival all the time, and there was this couple. Thank you, Sherry. She knows my mouth is dry. <laughs> there was this couple that was at these revival services, and uh, they would get up and sing a song, Satan Lied to Me. I, st I can still sing that song to this day. And he would uh, testify before that they sang, and he would do this. He would start doing this, and he would testify, and he would go, I feel a bad spirit in here. Well, this went on for, like, a couple of times that Mama would see him, you know, and, and they would be in revival. And uh, finally, Mama told us one night on the way home, she said, yep, you know, he's up there rubbing his stomach and says he feels a bad spirit in here. And she said, I thought to myself, yep, and you're rubbing it. 
So mama got frustrated with people too. Mom and daddy are human too. But they were pretty perfect people in my book. You know, daddy was drafted in World War II. He fought overseas. He nearly lost his life. He believed in American freedom. He believed in it for everybody. Color, religion, everybody. And because of that, he was raised, he raised us to be very uh, proud of the heritage that he had fought to preserve, which was the freedom that we get to experience. I often marveled at the fact that my daddy never stood around and talked about how awful the war was. He had to have seen horrendous things, but he never, ever brought them up. He never talked about them. He worked a full-time job by day. Uh, he was a carpenter, came home and baled hay, ran the farm at night, and, and, and then we would go to church. That was, uh, that's what our life consisted of. Uh, you know, he worked even at a nuclear plant for a while, building things there. And I thought, you know, how much radiation dad was exposed to, but, you know, he had to support the children. He had to support us. But he never thought of that. He just knew he had to take care of us. Um, and he worked every single day. Now, my mama, she was very much about education. I tell people that if I had died, my mom would roll me to school in a casket to make sure I didn't miss any of the subjects of the day. Uh, she was just all about that. Now, let me tell you, this woman was intelligent, and she was quite the businesswoman. She rocked the business world before it was socially acceptable to be a woman and run a business. My mom raised chickens for Holly Farms. We had two chicken houses that could hold up to nearly 40,000 chickens. Now, mom attended to 10 kids and 40,000 chickens and my daddy. Okay? That's right. And, and you know what? Mom would cook supper. I mean, it, we had things laid out very, very good. And we would go to church. And sometimes, because we were in the altar praying, we wouldn't get home from church till like 11 o'clock at night. Daddy had to get up at 4 and travel an hour to work and work all day, travel an hour home, work at the farm. All day. But you know what? I never heard them complain. It's brought me to shame when I was sitting there writing this. I'm like, man, all the time I'm talking about how tarred I am. I'm so tarred. Oh, I'm so tarred. You know, I just can't hardly make it. I'm so tarred, you know. And, and mom and daddy was going to church every night, working all day, barely getting any sleep, putting up with ten mouthy children, and never complained. But you know why? God, they love God. They had a fire in their heart to do that. You know, it's really uh, a lot about remembering, too, that we know what to do, but a lot of times we just don't do it. It's just like uh, my body tells me, uh, well, my body lies to me a whole lot, but so does my mind. Let's just put that out there right now. My mind says, hey, you know what? You get up, girl. You get in there and you clean that room right now. And then my body says, give her a try, girl. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, sometimes I listen to my body. Sometimes I listen to my mind. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> but I remember always mom and daddy praying. Every morning I hear daddy in there. Boy, he was going at it. Boy, he was praying. Mom was praying. They started their day off with reading the Bible, praying. 
Went to bed, reading the Bible, praying. This was something I seen lived out day in and day out. My sister Joan told me recently that mom was the only person that she ever knew that would put everybody ahead of herself. She said she was the most unselfish person that she had ever met. Now, a week before my mom passed away, there was revival at their church. And my sister shares the story that there was like a little fellowship. Everybody's walking around shaking hands. And she said that all of a sudden mom turned straight to her and said, pray for the family when I'm gone. And it struck my sister odd. But, you know, this wasn't really anything. And then five days later, I got a call that changed my entire life. My mom and dad had been in a car accident, and my mom didn't survive. Now, that was 25 years ago tomorrow. Mother died on Mother's Day weekend. So this really shook my world. I just couldn't figure out why bad things happen to good people. You know, I thought, wow, mom and daddy never hurt anybody. You know, you how, you know how we do. And, and I'm like, why would she die this way? Why did it have to happen this way? And there's so many things going through my mind. And then, and I did for the longest time, I wanted to die. If I could describe it to you that way, I felt very empty. One day I was riding through Collier's and I was crying. My heart was so broke. I missed my mother. And as I was crying, the Spirit of God come over me. And I began to speak in tongues. And I really felt like that that was the Holy Ghost trying to help me to heal. And I kept going to church, kept praying, and kept reading my Bible. And I just stayed steady because that's what I seen. See, my parents lost their parents too. But I never seen them waver. You know, things happen to all of us, but that never, it's not God's fault. He's sovereign and holy. You know, the thing too with my daddy is, you know, I held my daddy's hand when he met Jesus face to face. And my heart shattered. It really did. Saying goodbye to daddy. But at the, I knew it was a see you later, that I would see him again. And I knew that. The last song mom and daddy sang together at church was a song called, I Hope We Walk the Last Mile Together. And the last song my dad sang in church before he went to meet Jesus is, what a friend we have in Jesus. And I remember those things. So, so my takeaways for you today about being a product of a godly heritage is exactly what Sister Deidre was talking about. That your actions and decisions will ultimately affect everyone around you. Because right after my mom and dad got saved, his, almost his entire side of his family came to church and got saved. Now, let's just say that if they hadn't have done that, what would have happened? You know, who's to say? Every decision we make affects somebody down the road. We, don't, we should never stop singing. Find that special gift that God gave you. Work hard. Perfect it. Be the best you. You don't have to be anyone else. You just be you. And do it for his glory. Keep life simple. A Sunday drive with a bologna sandwich wouldn't hurt any of us right now. Don't be afraid to step out in boldness when you know God's called you to do something. Run. Run, run, run.
Now this one got me. Thank you, Sister Amanda, very much, Pastor Amanda, for having me do this. Don't be a slacker. Return to your first love. Serve God with all the passion and fire within you. He deserves the best. Don't be a slacker. Yes, I'm tarred. But so is everybody else in this room. And if we all give in to that, we ain't going to get nothing done around here. Uh, trust the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord. Ha! Yes. Now, this one. Live your life in such a way you're not afraid to die. We all will stand before him. That is a for sure. Make sure you got your plans ready. Because life is forever. It's just be where you're going to spend it. Choose him, people. Choose him. I beg you. You won't regret it. Choose him. Bad things do happen to good people. Because as it, Sister Amanda says, it rains on the just and the unjust. But ultimately, God is holy and sovereign. And this is one I learned from my son. Forgive quickly. Love easily. That's what mom and daddy did too. Honor the elderly, especially the widows. Care for the poor, the unfortunate. Cry with those that cry. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Give to missions. You be an evangelist. Be an evangelist where you work. Be an evangelist where you shop. Be an evangelist whoever you visit. Be an evangelist. Make everybody feel special. They will always remember how you treated them. And if you treat them poorly, what does that say about who he is? He's our daddy. He wants his children to be good. Now, mama wanted us to be good, but I made some bad decisions. And you see a product of a lot of bad decisions. But I have also made some pretty good ones, and that was serving him. And I say this as I close. Mom and dad were in a revival the week I was born. And they had been in revival the week mom was killed in a car accident. I'm thinking it pays to stay and keep a revival in our hearts. We never know when this will be the last time we'll see each other. Man, she's always so hard to go after. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. I feel so incredibly blessed to be here with you this morning and share a piece of my story. I'm obviously the newest, least experienced mother up here, but I learn something new every day. And I feel incredibly grateful and blessed for the opportunity to raise my Ezra, a.k.a. Ezzy Fresh. Whoop, whoop. Psalms 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Ezra is 12 months old, and a lot has changed in those 12 months. Honestly, a complete 180, but I wouldn't change a single thing. Ezra has taught me so much about being a mother in those 12 months, and not just about being a mother, but also about how my relationship with Christ should be. I was raised by the best mother 
of all time. You just saw her. Yeah. I'm obviously obsessed with her. I'm still like, what are you wearing Sunday? I'm going to wear what you're wearing Sunday. And here we are. She's just absolutely the best. Facts are facts. Chickity check yourself before you wreck yourself. Mo money, mo problems. But in all seriousness, I saw firsthand what a godly mother looks like, acts like, serves like, and loves like. I have always been in awe of my mother and still to this day, and, love, and I love to watch her. I'm not quite sure how she raised us and did everything, you, everything she did. She raised four of us, took care of the house, ran errands, served the church, and was a wife and went to school full-time, nursing school at that. I saw the hard work it took to be a mother. I always hoped that one day I would be able to be even half the mother and woman of God that she was and still is. Several years ago, I was told by a doctor that I may not be able to have kids. I was told that if and when that time came and I did get pregnant, to not be excited because it won't be a healthy, successful pregnancy. It's a lot to take when you hear it. But from that point on, I didn't think I would be able to have a child. And to be honest, I had completely accepted it and made peace with it. I found out I was pregnant September the 6th, 2020. I was shocked and so excited. And I was also very, very scared. Not scared that I was pregnant, but scared because I instantly remembered what that physician had told me that day. I knew I was told to not be too excited, and I remember thinking maybe I shouldn't tell anyone at all about being pregnant because of what potentially could happen. But I do remember thinking, oh my goodness, I have to tell my mom. <laughs> and not just tell her, I have to tell her right now. Within five minutes, we were in the car going to Walmart to get a surprise. And I remember walking through the baby section to pick out a onesie to surprise my mom with and feeling the most excited yet scared I'd ever felt in my entire life. You see, I've walked through this section before, but it never felt like this before. I remember it so vividly. That happiness and excitement and carefreeness lasted approximately two days for me. See, on the morning of September 8, 2020, I woke up so sick I didn't think it could get any worse. Ladies and gentlemen, it was only the beginning, and it got so, so, so much worse. <laughs> I would then proceed to vomit 20-plus times a day. I wasn't able to keep anything down, Could eat, couldn't even keep liquids down, and I thought this was normal. I mean, I was a first-time mom, and I'm a nurse and the worst patient in the whole entire world, so I was like, it's fine, it's good. I lost 22 pounds in two weeks. I felt so weak, I could barely stand. I remember rounding at the hospital at six in the morning, seeing patients and holding onto the rails, going room to room, and holding onto the computer, walking down the hallway, because I felt like I was going to collapse. I would run from patient room to bathroom, down the hall, or on a different floor, so no one knew I was sick. I went to my first appointment for Ezra, and I was told, that the, told the midwife that I had been sick and lost 22 pounds in those two weeks. Her eyes got huge, and I remember her calmly saying, I'll be right back, and she left the room. She came back and suggested that I'd be admitted to the hospital. I was then more terrified than I was before. I was no longer scared for myself, but scared for my child and his well-being. 
I knew I had kept nothing down, not food, not liquids, in a little over two weeks. And how would this child survive if I couldn't provide him with the one job that I had? I begged the midwife to not admit me and just see how I would do. Because as silly as it sounds, I didn't want to miss work. Because what do we do? We work. <laughs> she calmly told me that if I didn't get things under control at this point, I would likely require multiple hospital admissions. I hung my head, went back to my office, grabbed my things, told my office manager and my physician that I was being admitted to the hospital. I then walked down and had my first ultrasound, and he was so, so tiny. But in my heart did I know that child was going to be mighty. My body had been so sick it went into ketosis. I was started on IV fluids and started on medication. The only people who knew I was in the hospital was my mother, my husband, my office manager, and my physicians. I kept it a secret the whole time. Israel was actually working on the church at this point when, before we even got here, and he was spending hours and hours a day. So I was home alone, and Israel would be here working, and I didn't want anyone to know I was, you know, pregnant or sick, and he'd be like, I'm going to go get us something to eat. And he would run to the hospital to be with me. Um, I was then started on six different medications that I would continue to take my entire pregnancy to be able to function and eat small amounts. I remember begging to be discharged that day because how would I keep this a secret from everyone if I'm, if I'm MIA from family night or church and work? They let me be discharged that evening, and I went to family night and told my family I was pregnant. Honestly, it's nothing at all how I envisioned telling my family, and for a long time I felt like I had no choice but to do this, and the dream I had was stolen from me. I would then go on to lose over 50 pounds throughout my pregnancy, I would sit at my desk in the mornings before patients or in the evenings after patients with an IV in my arm while I typed and documented and charted so I wouldn't miss work. It felt like a chore and almost all the energy I had to even talk or hold a phone. Most days feeling like I could barely keep my head up. I was in a very dark place. I would beg God to let me die. That's how bad I felt. I was considered high risk due to my diagnosis of hyperemesis as well as hypertension. It would need to be induced, and I was terrified. I felt like I was str not strong enough to be a mother. Again, I had the perfect example of what a mother should be and do, and I didn't think I could ever even do one-fourth of that. But when I heard Ezzy's first cry and saw that sweet face, I felt like time had stopped. I remember telling people when I was pregnant that I was scared to hold him because he was so little. I had only held babies a few times before, but I had never carried a baby. <laughs> I was always sitting still. So my big backup plan was just putting him in a bassinet and pushing him room to room. I didn't do that. <laughs> Don't worry. I was still scared to hold him, but I knew he needed me. It was a natural instinct for me as a mother to do whatever he needed. Little children don't have much to offer. Sure, they, they're fun to look at and play with and dress up and hold and kiss, but they can't earn a paycheck. They can't cook a meal or wash clothes. <laughs> they can't cut grass. They can't serve on a committee or unload the dishwasher. Little children really are pretty useless when it comes to doing anything. Everything has to be done for them. 
Little children are dependent upon others for their very survival. They have no autonomy. They have no self-security. They have no self-sufficiency. They really cannot make it on their own. Ezra needs me to care for him, to clothe him, to feed him, to love him, to provide for him. He has no doubt that I wouldn't provide and care for him. He wasn't hesitant with me. That's how we should be with Christ. It sounds so simple, but in those moments with Ezra and me having those aha moments, it made so much more sense to me how our relationship with Christ should be. We must come before God with our insignificance and our lack of ultimate security and our total dependence upon him and throw ourselves at his mercy. He is the perfect one. We are the sinful ones. He is the potter and we are the clay. He is the creator and we are the created. He is the forgiver and we are the ones that need great forgiveness. And then there's the moments when I feel like I'm absolutely failing as a mother, a wife, a daughter, a sister, and a friend, and I feel like my life is falling apart all around me, and I look at Ezzie, and he smiles this huge, rotten grin. He delights in me. He has no worry. And I feel this happiness and joy I've never felt before. When I make him happy and care and provide for him, I started to realize that I feel that that's how God wants us to be with him. I want Ezzy to have every good thing in life, and that's what God wants for us. He wants us to have every good thing. I can't even put into words and describe how it feels when Ezra looks at me and smiles, how we must make God feel when we delight in him and worship him and praise him and thank him. God delights when we are blessed and happy. Ezra doesn't need me to be perfect. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. There have been times in my life when I feel completely exhausted, unsure of anything, and like I had been thrown into the deep end of life without even a pair of arm floaties to keep my head above water. I feel overwhelmed and empty of joy. The pressures and demands of portions of my life come in droves, and I don't know what to do. But what a blessing it is to learn that I don't have to be perfect, but simply commit my life to him each day. Ezra in Hebrew means helper, helper, and that's exactly what he's been for me. I would live every single one of those days filled with sickness, weakness again to look at his sweet face. I'm so thankful that with God's help, grace, and blessing that I was able to add my sweet Ezra to our crazy tribe. You see, God is faithful. God is kind. God is merciful. God has blessed me beyond what I've ever imagined and deserve. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Here we go. <laughs> All right. When Pastor Amanda first asked me to speak about starting a godly heritage for my family, it seems like the only thing that I could remember was all my failures. Everything that I had done wrong, years that I was present for my family, I was present there, but I was really absent. See, my story is much different than a lot of the stories that you've encountered today and being a parent in and of itself is hard, let alone with some of the struggles that I had to go through. And struggles make you grow and they make you into who you are. So I can honestly say that my parenting style has changed so much since I have come to know Christ. 
You have to find the balance between guiding your children with, through education and discipline, but a mutual respect has to exist. And the thing that has helped me the most, and I think the most important thing that I've got to hand down to my children, is that the necessity of a personal relationship with Jesus when my son Brandon was about seven years old, we had an interesting conversation. He came to me and he said, Mom, is Jesus crust a bad word? And I said, Jesus crust? Brandon, I don't, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Mom, Jesus crust. My daughter, my oldest daughter, Lauren, chimes in from the other room. She says, he's saying Jesus Christ. He wants to know, is Jesus Christ a bad word? And all I could do was chuckle, and I told Brandon, I said, Jesus Christ is a person. Now, people will say his name sometimes when they're angry, and they kind of use it in a bad way, but Jesus Christ is God's son who came down from heaven. We celebrate his birthday at Christmas, and we celebrate the fact that he raised from the dead at Easter. And he says, well, Mom, that's who we got to meet then, God's kid. <laughs> and as cute as he was, you had to, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but he was speaking to me prophetically. See, when Brandon and I had this conversation, our lives were spiraling out of control. To them, it was normal because they're kids. They didn't have anything to compare it to. But to me, as a mom, I knew I wasn't doing what was right. And I say our lives together because I was a single mother of three kids. So you know that everything that I went through is exactly what they went through also. They had no one to help them with the dysfunction that I was dragging them along through. I was no good to myself even, so how was I going to help them? Their characters, who they were, their personalities were being shaped by the dysfunction that I chose for my life and pulled them right along through. I was a meth addict. I was a pothead. I drank excessively. I was entered into one unhealthy relationship after another, and my kids watched it all. All of these symptoms and signs pointed to one bigger problem, and that was that I was a broken individual. The drugs and the alcohol, everything that I was doing was just a bandage that tried to cover the festering wounds that I had carried around since my childhood. I was numbing the pain. I was trying to diffuse my anger. I was just trying to survive each and every day and make it to the next one, and so were my kids. Little did we know, all we had to do was meet God's kid, Jesus. Yes. I was born into a Catholic family. I was baptized as an infant. I can remember getting my first Holy Communion. I went to some CCD classes, and that's basically catechetical instruction. They tell you, teach you how to be a Catholic. Now, my experience, and I, listen, I don't mean to be uh, disrespectful, or, or offend anyone, please understand that. But my experience as a Catholic was that it was a matter of checking boxes. Did I go to Mass this week? Check. Did I get communion this week? Check. Did I go to confession? Check. All right. So as long as I was able to check all the boxes, I was fine, right? No. No, I was not fine at all. Things that I had faced in my childhood were downright traumatic. I didn't know how to handle the, or process the physical and emotional situations and the weights that I was carrying around and I endured. I didn't have godly, godly role models. We didn't go to church on a regular basis. No one had introduced me to this kid named Jesus. 
I saw him in the manger at Christmas time, right? In the nativity, all sweet. I saw the pictures of him at Easter with his long, flowing white robes standing in front of the tomb. But I had no idea that Jesus was really alive. I had no idea that he healed people. And I had no idea that I could meet him and have my own relationship with my Savior, Jesus Christ. So back in these days, I found myself facing another gut-wrenching situation, and I was all alone. I really had no, and my drug use had pushed everyone away. I was helpless. I felt hopeless. I was desperate. And one day after I had sent the kids off to school, I, was, I remember being in my room just crying and crying. And I was crying out, you know, please, I don't want to be alone. Someone please help me. You know, how, how am I going to face this? What am I going to do? And just somebody, please, somebody, help me. And I heard a response. Amy. All right. I was flying higher than a kite that day. I'm going to tell you. It could have been anything, but I heard something. All right. And you know how you do it? You kind of turn your head to focus on what, what is it you're hearing. And my eyes caught a glimpse of a Bible. Now, I don't know where that Bible came from to this day. It was certainly out of place in my life at the time, but I had the urge to read it, all right? I picked it up and read it. I didn't know anything about the Bible, but I opened it up, and my eyes fell on Psalm 127, verse 3. It said, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the one whose quiver is full of them. Oh, my God. I was speechless. You talk about hitting right to the heart of a matter. Most of all, I was convicted, but it was a good conviction. It wasn't a conviction that sent me down spiraling in my head about all the things I had done wrong. It was a conviction and a burning in my heart that things were going to be different. My children were a reward. I was blessed because of them. I had to do right by them. I have a responsibility to do bad better. I had a confidence that I had never had before. Most of all, I had hope. That was the day I met Jesus. He heard my cry. He heard me there by myself. I thought I was by myself, but he heard me. He came straight to me and spoke directly into my situation. I knew that Jesus loved me, and he wanted to heal me. Jesus loves my children. I was determined to become the mother that they needed in their lives and the mother that they deserved. I was determined that they would have the most important tool to help them heal through the dysfunction and the pain that I had caused them. They were going to know Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the one who gave me the strength and the courage to start a godly heritage for my family. And there are three things that I consider are the foundation and the most important, and I continually impress these upon my kids. If you ask them, they will tell you. Number one, God gets all the glory. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So every step of my recovery, every victory, and every struggle, God gets the glory. It is imperative it is imperative that we instill upon our kids the undeniable truth that God alone is the one who sustains us. He's the one who enables us to grow. It's not just in the good times, 
But he deserves the glory for our struggles, too. He's the only one that can take a mess, take our mistakes, take our sins, take our failures, turn them around, make us new, and send us on our way, and we are better than we were before. The second thing that I think is important to my children know is that Jesus loves you immensely. And he cares about every single detail of your life. He sees you right where you are at every minute, and he knows exactly what you need. He is ready, willing, and able to help you, but you have to allow him the opportunity to do that. He has created you with a special purpose, one that is unique to only you. If you stay close to him through prayer and obedience, he will show you his perfect will for your life. And in that perfect will is where you're going to find contentment and success. The third thing that I tell my kids, and this is where the discipline part comes in, God is holy. He is the creator of the universe, and that is nothing to be taken lightly. He has created us, so there are some things that we owe him in return. God has expectations. He has established guidelines and boundaries that we must adhere to, and all of these things are for our own good. He deserves our undivided worship. We are to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. He deserves our service. We serve him most by serving others, and a life dedicated to service is a true act of worship to God. 1 Peter 1.16 reminds us that God says, be holy, for I am holy. So that means we have to set ourselves apart by being people of integrity Upright in character and obedient to his word, which means we have to read his word. Ever since I gave my life to Jesus, I teach my kids based on these three principles, which I think is a strong foundation for a godly heritage. I now have seven children, and six of them will tell you that I hit these points pretty hard, relentlessly at times. One of them even said to me, you turn everything into a discussion about the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I, I guess I do. For any of you parents who want to start teaching your kids about Jesus, wondering if it's too late to start now, I say no. It's never too late. As long as they are drawing breath in their lungs, it's not too late. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train a child up in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. They will always be your child, and they are still growing older, so now is the time. And I pray that as you sow the seeds of godly living in your, the hearts and minds of your children, the Holy Spirit will water and tend to that seed, and you are going to see an abundant harvest in their life during your life. Grandma used to pray out loud by in bed every night To me it sounded like mumbling
But if you're a mom in any capacity, and that means step parent, whatever, I want you to come down to the front if you're able to. And I'm going to ask my husband if he would come and assist me. And we are going to have a prayer over you. And then we're going to give you a gift. If you would, please come. Just come on down. If you're a mama, come on down. You're so beautiful. Keep coming. Come out here, right here, so people can get down. This looks awesome. And you could just fill the aisles if you have to. That's fine. Will you just turn around? Will you just see how beautiful this looks? Will you just take just a minute and just look up and say, thank you, Jesus, that I get to be a mom. Can we do something else before I let my husband pray? There's people that want to be moms and that haven't been able to be a mom yet, or they haven't, they've lost a child. Can we just honor them just a few minutes? Thank you, Jesus. There's something I've learned in 28 years of raising children. And that that's a mother's love is the closest on planet earth that we'll ever get to God's love. It's, yeah, go ahead, men. Go ahead. You, yeah. Because I'm one of you. And I look at my kids and I love my kids and I would, I would, stand in front of a tank for my children but what I do for my kids and the way I feel for my kids won't touch the love that this woman has for her children mothers have a special a special kind of love and I can't explain it, it other than it's, it's almost supernatural it's, it's as close to the Lord's love as we'll ever experience here so I honor you mothers I honor you. Whatever capacity, and, and every one of you, I guarantee, I don't know your story, but every one of you would stand here and say, I feel like a failure as a mom. You know why you do that? Because you love so deeply that you're your biggest critic. But I'm going to tell you, you've done all right. You're here, and if you're a mom, you've done okay. God is pleased with you. And he honors you today too. Because I firmly believe he has put you in the life of your children to save them, to keep them from danger, to be their shoulder to cry on. Because thank God my kids didn't have to run home to me. I'm hard like granite. They wouldn't know where to run, but they've got this woman to run to and yours has you. God put you there, specifically positioned you with your children under you to throw your love over them your role is so important don't you ever diminish your role as mother because it's the most important thing that you've ever done God God bless these women today every woman that serves as a mother if she's a grandmother if she's a stepmother if she's a mother by 
adoption or any other capacity, you have supernaturally put her in the way of children to keep those children from hell's flames, to keep those children from harm. God, you have given her an emotional reward. You have given her a spiritual reward. And now I'm asking you to give her strength to endure. Every woman that is standing here today, Lord, whether their children are small or whether they're medium-sized or whether they're full-grown, they carry burdens and they carry regret and they carry grief and they carry the load of being a mother. God, I'm asking you today because I believe you positioned them with a place of honor to be in their children's lives. I'm asking you today, God, to give them a supernatural ability to carry this load. Not just today, but God, every day. Every minute of every day because a mother's mind is always on her children. I'm asking you to give them an emotional stamina to outlast the attacks of the enemy and let their children rise up and call them blessed and make their reward here on earth sweet because they will tell their mother what a difference she made in their life. We love you today. Thank you for mothers. Thank you for letting us serve with these mothers. And in Jesus' name, amen. Would you look at three or four women around you and say, you did all right. Will you do that? You did all right. Now, our ushers have a gift for you. Please don't leave until you get a gift. But go back to your seat so we could do door prizes. I want somebody to win these beautiful gifts. Your ticket is taped to your box.